0: So you meet a woman online. I love her. I just love her. But it turns out thousands of other people are in love with her too. Janessa Brazil. Janessa Brazil. Janessa Brazil. One woman's image is being used by criminals to target innocent people looking for love online. You win their hearts, you win their wallets. Love, Janessa. My wild quest to find her. The unwitting human face of a digital con. From CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. This is a CBC Podcast. As you've been hearing in the news, Israel and Hamas have extended a truce for two more days. Since Friday, hostages taken from Israel have been exchanged for Palestinians detained in the West Bank. And the ceasefire has allowed more desperately needed aid into Gaza. Among those hostages released by Hamas were Hagar Brodach, her 10-year-old daughter, and her sons, age eight and four. The family was taken from Kfar Aza when the kibbutz was attacked on the 7th of October. Hagar's brother-in-law, Aaron Brodutch, flew to Israel from Toronto last week to support his brother. We have spoken with him a number of times since the 7th of October. And Aaron Brodutch joins us now from just outside Tel Aviv at the hospital where the children are being examined. Aaron, good morning. Good morning. The last time you and I spoke, you were here in Toronto, and I said at the end of our conversation, I hope that the next time we talked would be when you had better news, and that day is now here. How are you doing?
1: I'm I'm doing well. It's <laughs> you know, huge relief. Um, yeah.
0: And how's your family?
1: They're good. They're they're doing okay. You know, they're still. I mean, far from perfect, but. Uh, they're, they're doing okay.
0: Can you tell me, and tell me only what you're comfortable with, but given how 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 long people waited and how anticipated this was, what was that reunion like between your brother, his wife, and kids?
1: Yeah, so um, it was, uh, it still is uh, very emotional. It's uh, it's a big, it's a it's a huge thing um, that's happened for my brother. We weren't there for the moment of their reunion. We kind of went into another room so that he can uh, have some time alone with his family. It was extremely hard for us um, seeing them, but uh, it was also, you know, very exciting. And you know, they're healthy, they're good, they're functioning. We we have them back. As emotional as it gets.
0: You said you said it was hard seeing them. What do you mean by that?
1: Um you know they, they they look like people who had been returned from captivity. Um, they lost a lot of weight um, they had been through a very difficult experience um, and it shows I mean you can't you know not see it especially the first moment before they even had like a change of clothes and had a shower and they, they look a lot better today
0: mm. how are they, how are they doing today?
1: They're good. They're still, uh, I think Hagar, my, my brother's wife, she's, uh, she had an extremely hard time, you know, being the adult. (laughs) The kids, uh, they're kids, you know, they're bouncing back, uh, very quickly. Um, I'm now at children's wing of, of the hospital where they're playing around and running around and playing with their friends. They're okay. Um, yeah, my brother's wife, she's, uh, She's incredibly strong. She survived. <laughs> you know, she's a, just a hero, and you know she's still uh, digesting everything that's happened.
0: I know that you don't want to talk too much about, about what they went through. Um, my my understanding is that they were together. Is that right?
1: Yes, they, they were together. It was uh, was was a tough experience.
0: When you think think of her, I mean, you said she's an incredibly strong person. Tell me a little bit more about, again, only what you're comfortable in saying, but but what she would have had to do to try to not only keep herself calm, but also her kids.
1: You know, the kids, um, they don't completely, especially the the little ones, don't, don't completely understand the situation. And, you know, she just had to, like, keep strong and just take it every, you know, one day at a time, you know, every day hoping to be released. And so it's, 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 it's breaking and it's, it's just tough. It's very hard not to break in the situation after 50, 50 days, but she held on and, you know, she, she's functioning, which is just incredible.
0: You sound like you're kind of in awe of her.
1: I am. Absolutely. Yes. She's mm. just, uh, just an amazing person.
0: How is your brother? I mean, one of the things that you and I talked about was that this has become in many ways, it it, it was your full-time job and it was his full-time job. He went with the dog, um, and, and sat in front of the government headquarters in Tel Aviv to try to raise awareness about people who were being held. How is he doing now?
1: He's on the one hand, um, you know, he's ecstatic. He's he's got his family back. Still trying to digest the situation, and at the same time, he knows what the other families are going through, and there are you know many people still there, you know having <laughs> this horrible experience that he's you know that he knows about. Um, and so you know we're all of us are you know, going to keep fighting to get all the other hostages back. It's, it's, it's tough to be completely happy in a situation.
0: When you and I talked last, um, we, we spoke about how the kids were here uh, in Canada last summer. And after the 7th of October, your daughter, is this right, your daughter wrote a letter to her cousin?
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Tell me about the letter that your daughter wrote to her cousin who had been taken hostage.
1: So uh, you know, I was I was in Israel, and when I came back, she told me I have I wrote a letter to a Uh She it was it was closed, so I don't, I don't know what was inside. Um, but it was mailed. It was addressed to uh, Hamas hostages in Gaza. She found uh, the postcode online. Um, obviously, this wasn't something that would reach anyone. Um, but then a couple of days later, I found out that people are organizing uh, a campaign to send letters uh, to the U.N. And so I told her, I have a solution for this. Um, We can try and send the letters to the U.N. And so she wrote another one, which was uh, part of it was to all the hostages. And the big part was to her cousins, telling them that we're doing everything we can. And, um, you know, we're trying to get them back. (laughs) That letter obviously didn't reach didn't reach the hostages uh as far as i know the red cross has still not been there to visit anyone yeah it's it's extremely tough i think for you know the the rest of the families um yeah it's you know we're, we're in touch with them and it's it's very hard
0: <laughs> what do you what do you want I mean th- that moment was incredible and, and and your daughter writing this letter but also then all these other people who are writing a letter in support you saw that support in in Israel as well for people who are protesting saying get the hostages out what do you want to see next from the Israeli government there is this this pause this truce and fighting that's going kind of day by day what do you want to happen now
1: I think you know we 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 managed to create a big shift in thinking in in Israel's government and I think generally in the population, you know, going you know, thinking about the hostages as the main the main issue. I don't know if if that is still a hundred percent top of mind for them, but it's it's definitely very, very close to the top. And I'm hoping that the ceasefire continues until everyone is released. I think again, the the most important uh, thing is to release the hostages, and you know everything else is secondary. You know there are people who are alive, and they need they need to get out of there.
0: What happens for you now?
1: Uh, so I'm I'm going back to Toronto. Um, I'm going to keep uh, you know helping in whatever way I can to. These hostages, uh, for me, it's I guess for the most part back to normal life. For my brother, he's still, you know, essentially a refugee, he doesn't have a house. You know, they're kind of brainstorming what's next for the next week. Um, and after they figure that out, they'll have to start brainstorming what's next for them in life. Uh, it's that's true for everyone in the kibbutz, um, you know, conversations. With him they're you know very unclear he's he's very unsure of what's next but now his wife is back and she's uh, I'm sure she will be very helpful in making those decisions she's uh, you know at, at the end she, she's going to be the main person you know deciding and uh, hopefully some some level of I mean some level of certainty has certainly returned to everyone's life and hopefully we get we get more certainty and they you know, the situation is resolved.
0: It just sounds like you have a big smile on your face when you talk about her being I, back. I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's, you know,
1: just great. It's, it's good. It feels, feels good to have them back. Mm. Um, we had fears um, <laughs> that they'll come back completely broken and they're not, they're, they're whole, they're, you know, they're functioning. It's, it's good. Yeah.
0: I'm glad to talk to you again. I'm glad to talk to you um, at the back end of, of, of Better News. Um, thanks for being generous and speaking with us, Aaron, and, and take care of yourself and my best to your family.
1: Thank you very much, Matt.
0: Aaron Broduch is just outside of Tel Aviv in Israel.
2: Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Café with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Café with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Café. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The CBC's Senior International Correspondent, Margaret Evans, is in Jerusalem. Margaret, good morning to you.
2: Good morning, Matt.
0: What do we know about the latest round of hostages that have been released by Hamas?
2: Well, we have uh, confirmation from the Israelis that, in fact, it came uh, really quite early in the wee hours of the morning that they had the list of the next ten Israeli uh, hostages to be released. You know, we're now in day five of this period of exchanges, and it's it's almost become ritualistic in terms of expectations. But but that's where we are now. The extension of the original truce and over the next two days we're expecting another 20 israeli hostages and then you will see in turn the release of of palestinians who've been being held in israeli jails
0: and what do we know about them the the understanding that i have is it's three palestinians released for every israeli released
2: that's right i mean those were the original terms of the agreement and in the wording that came out yesterday when qatar was announcing uh The extension of the pause and Hamas on social media was saying they had agreed with their Qatari brothers to this, that uh, the wording, that the terms of this agreement will be the same. In terms of the individuals on the list, you know, there have been lots of hiccups, especially um, between Israel and Hamas, over whether or not children would be released without or with their parents. And we've seen some kids coming out without their parents parents. But it hasn't thus far derailed um, these days of exchanges.
0: When you take a look at, at the Israelis that are being released by Hamas, it's largely, to your point, women and children that um, it's not people that Hamas has deemed to be uh, members of the IDF or or uh, those who perhaps were called up as part of that large recruitment uh, after the 7th of October, right?
2: That's right. It's been very, very specific to women and children. Uh, if you will remember back uh, in 2005 when an Israeli soldier, Gilad Shalit, was taken uh, prisoner hostage by Hamas, held captive for several years, and in the end, his release was in exchange for more than 1,000 Palestinian prisoners. So I think the expectation that you would have amongst security analysts is that nobody's going to be talking about Israeli soldiers yet. They're dealing with women and children first. There has been some talk now, if, you you know, if there are still um, over 100 people being held hostage, Um, when you get through women and children, are you then moving on to the elderly or are you moving to elderly men before you get to the notion of soldiers? Because that will be a much more difficult negotiation. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the Palestinian side, what you are seeing in terms of what Israel is saying or who Israel is saying could be on the list for exchange, we're dealing with women and we're dealing with, with teenagers, minors, people under the age of 19 and nobody um, convicted of, of murder. So uh, it's it's very specific to the here and now, which of course increases the sense of uncertainty about, well, what happens when you start to get to the end of the list.
0: When you take a look at at those who have been released from the Israeli jails, about 150 Palestinians thus far, we've seen some of the scenes of, of their return Tell me a little bit more about that and how what you understand about how Palestinians are reacting to that part of this exchange, if we can call
2: it that. Um, they're being allowed to go back home. Um, I'm speaking to you from uh, occupied East Jerusalem. We've seen returns here. But for the most part, they're released into the West Bank. And there have been um, celebrations from people waiting, obviously happy to see um, loved ones, some who've been in 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 jail for years here in, in occupied East. East Jerusalem, there's been quite a bit of pressure from the Israel Defense Forces on Palestinians not to be showing any signs of celebration that would be seen you know to be gloating, if you if you like, by Israelis in terms of what's happened to their people. In the occupied territories, I think it's something like a quarter of Palestinians will have spent time in jail. But Hamas will be taking credit for this prisoner release, which, of course, uh, adds to the sensitivities between Israelis and Palestinians. And I should say that often as well that Palestinians that we've spoken to have said we want to celebrate the return of a loved one. We don't want to celebrate what's happening now because so many people are dying in Gaza. So it's a very, very complicated picture.
0: As this truce, if we're calling it that, or a pause in the fighting continues sort of day by day, it's being extended. What's your sense is to the amount of aid that is getting in to Gaza?
2: Um, Everybody says all the aid agencies on the ground say it's not enough. And if you see some of the aerial footage that we're seeing now in terms of the level of destruction, there are huge parts of the Gaza Strip that have just been laid waste. It makes movement around very difficult. The Hamas-run authorities in Gaza say that they haven't received enough aid in the north, particularly fuel. And the weather has turned here. So winter is here. It's raining. It's Miserable. People don't have fuel to kind of try to deal with like flooding or sewage pumps, food, medicine. We're, we're hearing reports of potentially a French ship coming to the region that might be able to help treat some of the injured. In terms of the medical needs, if you don't have refrigerators, how are you keeping medicines and vaccines viable? It's, I mean, it's just an enormous amount of stuff. And, you know, some people have left home well over a month ago now and they've taken nothing with them. In the meantime, there's a sort of sense of this kind of time running out because we don't know whether this truce is going to extend or not. So people are trying to take advantage of this moment. And some of them are simply trying to find uh, loved ones, and a lot of them are finding their bodies rather than than living, breathing beings.
0: From where you are in East Jerusalem, is there the sense in Israel that this could be the beginning of a longer term resolution, a cessation in hostilities, or when the clock kind of expires on this truce, does the war pick up where it left off?
2: That's certainly that the message that the Israeli government, that the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, the Defence Minister Yoav Galant are giving that when the truce is over, the war resumes with full force. I think that people on both sides, Israelis and Palestinians, have welcomed this truce. Um, overwhelmingly for obvious reasons but what it also, I mean, this is my impression is there's almost a sense right now that we're in a bubble because this conflict has been so horrible and so traumatizing just, you know, abusive for for anybody watching it or dealing with a relative be they a, a hostage underground in Gaza or, or a Palestinian, you know, above ground sheltering from the bombs that These little scenes that we're seeing, you know, uh, whether fuel coming in, somebody being able to light a fire, or these reunions between children who are, you know, running into the arms of their parents as they're returned from Gaza, very heartwarming. People don't, I mean, they want to hang on to those images, those reunions, families reunited on both sides. And so it's created, in in my mind, there's a slight sense of unreality because Mm. Nobody knows there's no end game here. If Israel says they're going to destroy Hamas, can they really do that? And and how do they do it and what happens to all the people in Gaza when that happens and what happens to the hostages that are still there? What does happen to the Israeli soldiers who are in captivity? There's so many unknowns. There's a tendency, a very human tendency to cling to the right now because they're are some positive signs coming out. Then, you you know, it's over to the international community on some levels to try to, to influence. If that there really is this desire for a more permanent truce, then, then they have to kind of get in and engage a little bit more deeply. Whether they can or not is the question.
0: Margaret, thank you as always. Thanks for having me. Margaret Evans is the CBC's Senior International Correspondent. She was in Jerusalem. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca
1: slash podcasts.